0: really hard to come home every day and be miserable and not want to go to work the next day and it just evolved into we couldn't see doing that anymore
1: that's the voice of amanda rademaker co-owner with ryan rademaker of lumber to love and i'm excited to talk with them right after a quick word from our sponsor hey everyone what do you know about shaper tools specifically the shaper origin As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand, or check the link in the show notes. And now, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Amanda and Ryan Rademacher, co-owners of the Grand Rapids, Michigan-based furniture company, Lumber to Love. Over six years in business, over 25 employees on payroll, over 2 million in yearly sales. Amanda and Ryan know what they're talking about when they talk about their furniture company. But they didn't start out successful. As you will hear, they actually started out by making a mistake. But they learned from that and the many more that they would make on their journey and grew from those mistakes into the company that they are today. Follow along as we talk about when to scale your business, how to structure your employees, the secrets of shipping furniture, and much more. It was great talking with Amanda and Ryan, so let's start the episode and hear about their story in their own words.
0: So we bought a foreclosed house in Flint. Um, I don't know when was this, like it was in
2: 2015.
0: Yeah, 2015, and um, we really couldn't afford to have anyone fix it up for us. So Ryan just kind of. Started taking it over a little bit on his own, learning as he went. And during that time, we decided that we needed a dining room table. And so he went into my dad's garage and had like two Ryobi tools that you just bought from Home Depot. No idea what he was doing, watching YouTube videos, decided to try to make us a table. And by the time we actually moved into the house, we realized the table was the wrong size. So I just posted it on Facebook and I think it was for like 250 bucks something like that. And, um, just posted it on my Facebook and we had 72 people want it. And that just blew our minds. And from there, multiple people who didn't get the table messaged us, Hey, could you make the same table in this color? Could you do this color? And our minds were just kind of blown. We couldn't believe the need for it and how many people loved it. So from there, I think that's what really kind of got Ryan's brain going a little bit.
2: I didn't have any prior experience with building I mean, I've always been good at figuring things out and working with my hands, but both Amanda and I went to school. We have our master's. We did the corporate way. Amanda was a teacher for a really long time. I worked in actually college track and field. I was coaching, and then I got to a, the administrative side. Um, but then this this kind of opportunity kind of popped up after I built that first table. And, you know, I built another one, and it happened again. You know, we put it on Facebook, and more people wanted it that kind of really started the journey of something that has really blossomed really quickly into what it is today. You know, that was in 2016 into 2017. And we were, you know, I was just in our garage trying to figure things out. I was only posting on Facebook just randomly. I didn't have a website yet. We didn't advertise. We didn't do anything that we do now. You know, family were supporting us too and and buying random products and wanted us to build things even if it wasn't great which it wasn't like the stuff we built in the beginning were it's garbage and i think a lot of that helped us into what you know in comparison to what we do now um it's just pretty amazing um so in 2017 into 2018 we just started on etsy so we finally got a good amount of products that i knew how to build just simple you know pine tables very simple farm tables And then we figured out how to ship them. And so we started offering them around the country. And so I think that's a big, big aspect of our business is not only do we build everything here, but we also deliver it ourselves. And so that's, that's a huge thing because we can offer a white glove delivery or whatever that may be. But in 2018, I built a pole barn behind our house because we were starting to, you know, I didn't have any employees. It was just me. We were getting a good amount of orders online just through Etsy Um, and then, in 2018, we built that pole barn. It was 1,500 square feet, which I thought was just absolutely massive. It, was, I mean, it was a lot of space at the time when it was just me, um, but we upgrew that when I hired my first employee in 2018, 2019, somewhere in there.
0: Well, and prior to this, Ryan's working a full-time job. I'm working a full-time job. We have a, a child. We're doing everything after hours.
2: So I didn't quit my full-time job until 2019. Yeah, so it was like three years of me working, both of us, but mostly me at the time working nights and weekends, every single night, every single weekend, just trying to figure out how to do this woodworking thing, how to, how to market the company, um, how to deliver products, whatever it may be. That's kind of where we figured things out. We didn't have a lot of money. We still both had full-time jobs, and we just go out in the garage at night and kind of figure out Lumber to Love and what we wanted to do with the company. And what it what it kind of turned into is after hiring our first employee in 2019 is I started to, which was really scary. Which I didn't didn't think I'd ever do that. But you know when you start something yourself, and I'm sure a lot of people listening understand this is it's hard to delegate or hand off things to other people. Um, so I had a hard time in the beginning doing that. But as soon as I did, the company really took off, which is which is really nice. I guess nice is depending on how you want to see that nice or extremely busy and chaotic all the time. You know, it's just never, never really a break and it's really been like that since 2017 all the way up until now. 2019, we, you know, still had that first pole barn. We were living on the East side of the, of Michigan and Flint. And we really wanted to get back in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which used to be the furniture capital of the world. I don't think it is anymore, but, There's just, it's a really nice area with a lot of growth and that's where I'm from. And so we wanted to get back there. And so we ended up moving the company from Flint over to Grand Rapids and we, I built another pole barn, um, 3000 square feet, which again, double the size. And at this point we probably had 10 employees and then, you know, pandemic happened, we were still growing and we really boomed, which I think a lot of companies did that were doing stuff like this. In 2019 and 2020, we probably went up to 20 employees selling all handmade goods in our little 3,000 square foot pole barn. It was insane, you know. We're all packed in there like sardines, and we're building furniture out of the pole barn. And then through 20 and 21, we just we came to a point where we either had to downsize the business or make that next jump, and we decided to make the jump. And so we found a, a commercial building in Grand Rapids in an industrial park, and it's 20,000 square feet. So we bought that. And so that's where we're at now. So we're in that building. We have about 25 craftsmen and, you know, four to five drivers and they're all working here for us. We're doing essentially the exact same thing that we've been doing from day one. We've just kind of shifted the, the brand and the, and the products that we do into a really higher end brand. We don't really build too many simple pine tables or farm tables anymore, and we still offer them, but we're really pushing for a higher-end brand just because of the options we have and the employees that we've we've found and trained over the last six years.
1: I love that your whole company, this whole journey that you both went on, and now employing over twenty-five people. I love that it started as a mistake, a uh, a yeah. measure a measure twice cut once (laughs) right that if you would have done it correctly if you would have built your first table correctly it would still be sitting in your house and you'd both still be doing probably the same jobs that you were and none of this would have happened so it's incredibly interesting how companies start it started as a mistake it started as a bad thing but it turned into this whole new life this whole new company that you have and it's so it's always great to hear the origin stories of people and that that one definitely made me laugh a little bit thinking about it
2: I've actually never had anyone say it started as a mistake but that is exactly true I mean it's mistake and an accident I mean that's that's all it was and I think kind of every step until I quit my job full-time to take on Lumber to Love as my new full-time is it was really just you know accidents or mistakes or just kind of like people wanting us to do things, but I didn't really take it that serious in the beginning. I mean, of course I wanted to produce a good product and I I thought I was pretty good at it, but yeah, that, that mistake really turned into something special now.
1: Well, it's a learning process and that is for anybody, for anybody who's learning the, the building side or the business side, even people who think that they have a good hold on both of those things as soon as you're thrown into doing it for real, as this is your only source of income, it becomes different. It becomes a completely different animal. And you can't plan for all of the things that are going to go right or go wrong. And you're just constantly making mistakes and learning and learning. And the people who have successful companies and the people who continue doing this are the people who take those mistakes, take that thing that they did wrong, and learn from it so they don't do it again. So in 2019, when you quit your job and decided, this is what I'm going to do full time, what made you think that was the right move? Was it that you were enjoying it? Was it that you saw the money on the table and thought this was a good path? Was it just that you couldn't keep up having both jobs at the same time? What? What was it that made you think this is now what I'm going to do as a career?
2: That's a great question. I mean, I don't I don't think at the time I knew it was the right choice, but I knew I had to make a decision because Lumber Love was kind of falling behind on some of the orders and I was losing traction with some of our customers just because I couldn't keep up. I mean, I would get home every day at 6 p.m. and I'd want to spend time with our family for a couple hours and I'd go out in the shop from you know, eight until whenever I could stay awake. And then I'd wake up at 5 a.m. and do it all again. And so that, could, that got tiring really quick. What I liked about taking Lumber to Love full time is it provided me more flexibility with my life. I mean, with especially with Amanda and with us starting the family. That was the main thing for me is I could, you know, I could dictate my schedule a little bit. And that was really important to me.
0: He also really disliked his job at that time, his full time job. So he was in a cubicle, didn't talk to, you know, had no one to talk to. Um, He would get home at 6pm and just want to talk to me and talk my ear off. And I had been teaching all day. So I was the exact opposite. I was like, I need a minute. You know, I don't want to talk to anybody right now. I've talked all day. So we kind of had two very different work lives. And we would get home you know, kind of debrief a little bit. And then we would be together in the garage and it was just like a whole different environment that we we both enjoyed. Yeah. And so I really wanted him to have more, you know, of that time that he really enjoyed. It was, it's really hard to come home every day and be miserable and not want to go to work the next day. And I think it just slowly evolved into, we couldn't see you doing that anymore.
1: So Amanda, what, what <laughs> was the the line that you crossed that you said, I'm also going to do this full time, I'm going to jump in and be a part of this company, because it's a scary thing, having both of you have all your eggs in one basket, but it's something that happened. And it's something that's paying off well for you.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't something that I wanted to do. At first, Um, it was during, like Ryan mentioned a little bit, the pandemic, and we were just about to have our third child. Schools were kind of shut down and I was teaching. And so I had some extra time at home. And Ryan asked me to, you know, can you help out with some of these Etsy orders? You know, can you answer customer questions while I'm in the shop working? And so I slowly started doing that. And I was really nervous. I didn't, you know, want to do something wrong. I mean, I feel like I've always been a people person. I have good customer service skills, all of that. But I, I was really nervous about it, especially because I had no I still don't know a lot about the woodworking part of it. So I didn't want to answer anything wrong, but I slowly started taking that over. And then I just kind of became addicted to it. And I would answer things before Ryan would. I wanted to stay on top of it. And then it just kind of made sense for me to stay home with the kiddos. You know, we're having another baby. So we have three and just really help. I He would have had to have hired somebody else at that point if I would have stopped and went back to work.
1: I think hearing your story and we'll back up to when you were when you were talking about the growth of your company. I think hearing your story in the beginning when you both bought a house and people listening will say, oh, they bought a house and they started making furniture. I've heard that story before. And oh, they were struggling a little bit to learn how to build it. And they were still doing their full-time job and it was a part-time thing and they were growing. And that makes sense. And then you get into the next couple of years and you're saying, and then we had 10 employees and then we doubled our size in the space. And then we doubled our employees and we had 20 employees and then we got a 20,000 square foot space and we have 25 plus employees and i think that at that point people are like whoa this is this is a little bit different they're scaling really fast and their company's growing really fast how (laughs) why did you scale so fast was it just that there was so much demand and if so how do you think that demand happened? How do you think you were able to grow so fast? It's
2: a great question. I think about that all the time, especially now where we're at. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, of course the demand was high at the time. And I think in 2016 and 17, Etsy was becoming really popular and we were a, a top seller on there from the beginning. And I think that really jumpstarted our, our sale of the company. and. You know, going from, you know, just me and then just me and one other guy, and then I had a couple more, and then we went up to 10, and, and we went up to 20, and then we went to 25, and then we got this big building. And it's just an, a crazy story really fast, and it's just the opportunity was there, and I think a lot of people are scared to pull that trigger, but we just weren't. I mean, we, we have a lot of trust in ourselves. We're very honest with all our customers, um, everything we do revolves around making sure that you know not only our customers are taken care of, but all our employees are taken care of, and making sure that you know we put them even above us because we understand how important that is. Um, it's it's just a unique situation. There's not a lot of places where you can get employed to build furniture, especially custom handmade stuff. I just didn't. It's like you know we're either we're either going backwards, you know, either falling behind or or going forward, and we wanted to see how far we can take it. That's what I always said is, you know, let's just see where we can take it. You know, we're never, probably never gonna get this chance again. The opportunity's here. Um, we have a great team with Amanda and I, and we can actually work together. And then we have just a core group of employees that really bought into what we're trying to do here is provide exceptional high-end quality furniture with the best, absolute best customer service around the country. That's not without saying it isn't a constant struggle every day and that we were under extreme stress all the time with not only our own issues and own things we're dealing with inside the company, but now we have 25 people and their families to take care of. And so that weighs heavily on me, especially all the time when I'm making decisions or when I'm, you know, creating a new product or a new design or I'm, you know, whatever it may be, I'm thinking about all that stuff all the time. Of course, the company is really important, but it's it's so much more than building furniture now.
1: You say you have a core group of people and I can imagine it feels like a family, but it's a big family. It's it's over 25 people and that's a large core and that's a large amount of people and their families and their, their livelihoods to be taken care of. And you can be growing, which is great, but the more you grow... Your employees, the more employees you have to pay, the more salaries you have to pay. People who are starting their companies and they're looking to get that first employee are always thinking about the numbers. They're always thinking, how much do I have to be making? How much do I have to have in the bank? How much do I have to have in orders on the horizon to know that I can bring somebody on? So, what were your financials looking like when you brought that first person on, then the 10 people, then the twenty people, how are you able to say financially, this makes sense for us to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that was obviously something that we were really new to in the beginning. I mean, when we brought the first guy on, I went to grad school with him. His name is Trevor. He really helped us out a lot. And he was great. Um, a, he was in a position where he was also miserable at his job and he just wanted to do something he loved. And so that helped us out a lot. And you know he we didn't pay him a ton by any means. But we were at the point in the company where we had a significant amount of orders on, on the back end that we needed to complete. And it was just the right time. And so we were at the time in like 2019, we maybe had like a couple hundred thousand in orders, like 200,000 over the whole year, uh, maybe less. I know was around there. And then in 2020, you know, we, I think that was the first year we hit over the million dollar mark in just sales. And so in 2020, that's when we had about 10 people employed for us. Million dollars sounds like a lot. And, you know, it's extremely exciting when you hit that first milestone, but most of that income is going back into the employees and the business. And one thing that we really did in the beginning is reinvest essentially everything. So any money that we had extra that we saved, I either bought new tools, a new van to deliver products with or I brought on new people, tried to get them in early and start, started to train them. And then, you know, in, in 2020 and 2021, we started our official website and we started pushing advertising a little more. And so we were actually getting really targeted in our advertising and really trying to, to find the people that wanted to buy our products. And that really helped too. And so, you know, we bumped up and passed the $2 million range. And then, you know, we're close to that still, but it may maybe a little more um going into 2023. But you know, our, our costs have gone up significantly and everything has, including our building costs and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. But you know, we always from the beginning always tried to reward our employees. And that's really helped in every aspect of the business.
1: You said that you put together your first website. After you hit a million dollars in sales, what were you doing before? How were you selling before? Was it just straight through Etsy? Was that your entire growth?
2: Yep, it was straight through Etsy. And then I would push advertising into our Etsy page. And so I just, I just domained our Etsy page into Lumberlove.com. And so I would make it look like we had our official website, but then I would push them into our store on Etsy. Etsy limits you. And so we knew we, again, another step that we had to take was to to establish on own website so we can control the rules a little bit more onto what we wanted to offer. And so it was in 2021, 2020, 2021, where we, we turned on lumber to lovecom officially and started offering all our own products on our own website. So a lot of it was just either word of mouth, Etsy, or Facebook. That's what it was in the beginning.
1: Did you see a downturn in sales when you went out on your own, when you put together your own website? Because you were established on Etsy. You were obviously doing very, very well and people were finding you there and you were being able to push people to your product through Etsy. But then when you went out on your own, it was kind of like an undiscovered land that you just put a flag up and you're hoping people come by. You already had a big company. You already had a lot of orders coming in. A lot of people who were working for you how did you make sure when you made your own website that you were going to be getting the same amount or more traffic to keep your company going
2: yeah i mean that was definitely a scary part i mean we had a plan just to make sure that that didn't happen where you know we turn our website on and then it doesn't work or it doesn't collect orders but we we kept etsy going we still have it um you know and as people were messaging us through the Etsy platform, we'd push them into the website and say, hey, you know, here's our product on our website. You can purchase it there um, and for a cheaper amount because we're not charged as much fees as Etsy does on top of your orders. And so we strategically just push people from Etsy into the website and we still do that today. Um, People feel safe on Etsy and for the most part, our customers don't know who they are until they read our story or or see our reviews. Um, So that's, yeah, that's kind of how we did it. And then as we grew on our website over the last year and a half, Etsy definitely throttled us and started taking our products off the main page because obviously we're, we were not creating as much money for them. And so they purposely dropped our our products from the, the first two pages or whatever it may be. And we saw a big drop in sales on Etsy, but we were able to recuperate that on the website.
1: Now, getting off of... Etsy, well you're still on Etsy, but trying to take a majority of your business off Etsy onto your own website. That's about the same time that that Amanda you joined the team and you like you said before are less involved in the day-to-day woodworking and more involved in the customer service and more involved on the back end and the logistics and the actual running of the company. What did you see in this shift from one platform to your own website? And how are you dealing with customers that were comfortable with Etsy, but might not be comfortable with just a quote unquote, random website trying to sell them tables?
0: Yeah, so it was definitely a big change having to go from checking Etsy every morning and answering all those messages to now having emails. We have Podium, which is where our customers can text you. That's where they're directed on our website to get in contact with us. And it's always me. So emails, Facebook messages, like Instagram, just coming from everywhere. So that was a, a big deal, just coming from lots of different platforms, lots of different things to check. So that was one big change for me. And I was really nervous about that, not missing anything. You, know, you never want to miss a customer. And so that was a big change. And then customers being nervous, it seems to be as long as they realize it's it's always me, no matter where they're contacting us from. So if they message us on Etsy and then I say, hey, go check out our website, you know, it's easier to navigate, you know, we have some deals going on there. And then they text us there and I say, hey, it's me, you know, so happy you are on our website now. That just seems to really ease their mind. They also can call us and some people really are comfortable with that. So I think as long as I meet the customer where they're comfortable, it doesn't seem to be an issue.
2: She's like a machine. real reason we we grew so quick from 2020 to 2021 is because of her. She may not say that. She may sound all sweet and innocent, but she is is a huge aspect of this business every day. Um, She doesn't miss anything. She keeps everything in order. She keeps the shop in order and all our deliveries in order. I mean, she is... She's useless on that sense. And I think a little bit of that mixed in with how good she is with customers has gone a long way. And then
0: I'll say from the customer standpoint, you know, we haven't changed the way we talk to customers, the updates we give, we send them pictures of their items to confirm that they like the color and everything before we seal it. I mean, we haven't changed updates or anything that we do from the beginning, (laughs) We just have, now we do more automated text messages. Hey, your items are on our shop floor. Um, You know, your materials are here. Be ready for updates soon. You know, so we keep it very personal because it's coming right from us, pictures right from the shop. I think that's a really big part of it too. People, you know, they do mean a lot to us. I know all the customers names. It's very important. They send us pictures once it's set up in their home um, with their families. It's just because I feel they're very comfortable with us.
1: Just for context, yeah. for people listening, what does an average month project-wise look for your company?
2: So typically 75 to 100 orders that we're, that we're finishing, either starting and finishing within that month. Um, we typically have about two to 300 orders at all times that we're working on overall. In the
0: background, yeah, ready yeah. to roll. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so as, and those are, and, you know, as we've grown it's getting more and more custom. Now, all of our orders, they all have the option to be customized. They're all different sizes or shapes or whatever it may be, but now we're getting to the point where we're taking on completely custom builds. Now we, we build everything. What any, if it's worth it for us, we'll build it. A lot of these orders are getting bigger and more complex. And then our, our standard orders, whether it may be just a simple farm table, with, you know, no breadboards or anything, those are really dropping off. And so we're getting a higher end customer, which is what we want to do. And that's been helping us maintain our turnaround time. And so that's kind of generally what the the month looks like, or two months overall.
1: I want to talk with you a little bit more about structure and the structure of your employees and how you have that set up. Because with over 25 people in the shop, that's a lot of different people to be taken care of. And even if you're going over everything with a fine tooth comb every single day, you can't be in all places at all times. So how do you have your your employees set up? What does that look like from a top down view of your business?
2: Yeah, well, obviously, to Amanda and I, and then I oversee the shop, but inside the shop, we have seven managers inside of the shop. So we have really seven seven different areas that these guys are taking care of, whether it be custom orders, we have a hardwood section, we have a softwood section, we have a table base section, we have someone who helps with our chairs, and then he also does social media posts and helps me out with that. We also have a shipping manager too, and he organizes the vans and get those ready for deliveries, um, talks with the drivers, talks with the customers, stuff like that. So that's how the shop's set up. I try to stay involved in every aspect inside the shop. So if someone is out or we need to train someone else, I at least have a a broad sense of what's going on. And I'm still actually woodworking in the shop. I make sure that I spend time building products in the shop, not only because I enjoy it, but I think it's really good for, our employees to see me out there doing the exact same thing they're doing. Um, and then Amanda handles really, she talks to all the managers as well as me, and she helps organize all the customer's needs or when orders are being finished and when they need to go out, uh, where they're going. And then we have, we have a big communication on, on Slack where we keep everything right in front of us. Even though I couldn't go talk to everyone, it's easy to have Slack available or we can text each other immediately. All those managers and really everyone in the shop, something that I learned in the beginning is, you know, you have to give these guys ownership into what they're doing. And so I'm not hovering, if anything, I'm talking to the manager so the manager can go talk to them. And then they have, you know, they have full, full ownership of the orders that they're creating. And so they, they can bring an order from start to finish. And that's what they did and their name's on it. And customer knows who, who built it. And that's, they really love that. You know, we don't have any manufacturing assembly lines in our shop.
1: There's a part of your business that I really want to talk about. And yes, I want to talk about the employees because that's exciting. And yes, I want to talk about the money you're making because that's exciting and the growth that you're having because that's exciting. And these are all things that are are exciting topics to talk about. But what's not exciting is shipping. And shipping is a struggle for, for everybody, whether you're a one person shop or a a hundred person shop, shipping is hard, but you've really made it your, your line in the sand where you say free delivery to anywhere in the United States, not only free delivery, but you're also basically doing white glove delivery where you're having people come into somebody's home and set up the tables. And that's also free. And this is all great because free delivery sounds great to a client, but as anybody who's ever built furniture and then tried to ship it, they know that the price that they're charging and then offering free delivery, that free delivery comes out of the price that they're charging. So how are you offering free shipping on all of these items To the degree that you are the the in-home installation and yet still keeping a manageable price tag of the pieces
2: yeah that's probably the biggest question i get from other woodworkers or people on instagram or facebook blast you know hey man i love your company but how the hell do i ship this table to california i'm in whatever minnesota and how do i still make money and so that's been a process and probably the biggest process of our whole company and another Another thing to really, it's really hard to iterate this to the customers that we actually do deliver it. And even if we tell them, you know, several times, they still figure it's coming on a freight truck in a box, you know, dropped violently in their driveway. And I, and I just didn't think that that's fair for someone to spend a couple thousand dollars on an order and a freight truck drops it off, and then they have to unpack and everything. We discovered U-SHIP really early in 2016, and that's how we started to ship tables. U-SHIP really helped us get all across the country at a pretty reasonable rate, and and that's kind of where we started to figure out that we had to have everything come apart very easy and go back together very easy. And so we started, everything we design is built like that, especially thinking about shipping and thinking about the customer. So, yes, we offer the shipping and delivery, but a lot of customers just want to do it themselves. And so our drivers will get to the home, bring it in their living room, and then they'll leave. And that's fine. We, you know, we'll offer to set it up. And if they don't want that, then we have to make sure it's, you know, very easy for them to assemble. Like a piece of IKEA furniture, but high-end, high-quality, high parts all the way through. You know, over the last couple of years, we've been able to accumulate some transit vans. So those big, big vans with the high tops and extended Sides, And then we disassemble everything we put it in boxes and wrap the tables and blankets or whatever it may be. And then we create routes around the country. So our drivers who are employees can drop off 15 or 20 orders on one route. And so they'll go from Michigan where we're at, and here's an example of a route. We'll go to Michigan, they'll hit the Carolinas, drop a few off, um, go to Florida, drop a few off, drop a few more off and then hit Ohio on the way home. And so they can do one big route in five days and deliver. 15 or 20 orders, you know, by themselves. So that's kind of how we operate now. I mean, we still do hire some independent people that do the exact same thing, but we don't do any freight shipping. None of that. It's all still hand delivered. And then obviously the cost is baked in and it's taken a while to get to this point where we can still make money and offer free shipping. You know, it's taken a long time for us to do that, but we're now at the point where some of our costs, if we're going to the California can offset costs or vice versa, if we're just delivering local or in Ohio, which is just on the road.
1: Do you think that it really matters at the end of the day to a customer that you deliver it yourself or your company rather than having a shipper do it or even free shipping? Do you think that really is taken into account by your customers and that that makes the difference between them wanting to buy from you or somebody else, because you even said it yourself, you sometimes have to tell your clients multiple times that no, we are the people who are delivering it. It's not just freight. Like they still are ordering from you, even though they don't believe that that's what's going to happen. Do you think that that's really a big selling point for your company? And Amanda, since you're the one who, who talks with most of the customers, I guess I'll ask You first about that. Do you think that's a big selling point for your company or is it just a personal preference that you all have?
0: No, I do think it makes a huge difference for the customer, especially those who we were talking about earlier that might be a little nervous going through a website, spending thousands of dollars, knowing that there's just a couple of different parts to it. I mean, knowing that it's coming from the company that made it so they can still contact us for updates or if there's any issues we're having control, like our drivers are doing the same type of communication that we had with the customers before it left our shop, giving them updates prior to going through this and having our own drivers. It was a nightmare trying to have 50 orders going everywhere throughout the country and having, you know, one driver take one, one driver from you ship take another. Trying to get updates, customers contacting us for updates, and then I'm having to find that driver and get. You know, it's just really, really hard to keep organized. And Ryan was the one who really had to talk me into. I was nervous about the investment of these vans, hiring drivers, you know, gas, hotels, everything that we have to figure out on that side. I was really nervous about that, but I cannot even imagine still posting all of our stuff on you ship and trying to find people, you know, that aren't with our company. So that's been a huge deal, but I do know that it really makes a difference for customers. They'll message us pictures of their table and say, Chris was really great. You know, sometimes they'll take pictures with our drivers, um, when we deliver it, it's just like, it really carries on that whole family aspect.
2: And I will say whoever's listening, you need to offer free shipping. That is a huge selling point. You bump the, the, you bump the price of your product up and you offer free shipping. And that's way more attractive than we've just been now turned into people who expect free shipping. So everything we get you, every single customer is looking for that free shipping button, they're not necessarily looking at a change in three or $400, you know, when they check out, but they're looking for that free shipping. And so when we did that, we changed over to free shipping. In like 2019, and our sales really went through the roof when we did that. They were paying more. They still just wanted the free shipping, and that and part of it they can't believe that you know something that large is shipped free, even though they do know on the on the back side that price is baked in. As soon as we figured that out, that that really helped everything.
1: When you have all of this work, all of these projects going on, uh, a couple hundred projects coming up that. You see on the horizon with hundreds more down the line, the actual building of it and the shipping we discussed, but we haven't talked yet about the sourcing of the material and you're getting material that is real solid wood, either soft or hardwoods, but it's solid wood. There's no veneer. There's no engineered materials. It's all solid wood solid wood as we all know it's a natural product and there are defects there are issues with it not every single piece is the same but you still need to be able to consistently make good furniture using it so what does your sourcing process look like
2: so we have a couple mills in the area that help us out now we get most of our lumber delivered skip planed and then one side ripped then in our shop we cut out any defects that we just don't like before we glue it up. Right now we have a straight line rip that we put everything through and then we have a 53 inch planer sander we'll flatten all of our material with. And so now we've gotten to the point where I can get, you know, a thousand board feet of walnut delivered at a time or maple or white oak or whatever it is. Or we'll mill all that down to get it ready for glue ups, whether that may be tops or bases or custom cabinets or whatever it may be and then you know our guys are still hand-picking those pieces to make sure that the show side is on the top and the imperfections are on the bottom you know that's changed drastically from when I used to just go with my car to Home Depot and shove two by twelves in the back of my Ford Taurus I mean that's that's how it started now we have more space and you know, people don't see that side anymore. And my employees don't see that side anymore, but that's kind of where it started. And now we have bigger machines that we can mill through this lumber a little faster. Now the, we have options to get an S4S so we could have it delivered, ready to glue up, which I used to have in a smaller location, but now it's not worth it. You know, now that we have the space and the and the knowledge and size
1: to do it ourselves. You've been running this company for a while, both of you, you're heavily invested. This is what you do, and you're not just figureheads. You're in the trenches. You're doing the work every single day. You're still putting in those hours. It's not like you've grown to a certain level and now you've set the machine in motion and you step back. You're still doing it. Running a furniture company has a lot of stresses involved in it and having employees has a lot of stress involved in it and shipping and all of that stuff. And there's, there's stress in this business. And I know that you're feeling it. I know that you both must be feeling it. What do you do on the professional side to deal with this? And also on the personal side, because you are business partners, but you're also life partners. You're also in a relationship. How do you balance that stress? And how do you make it manageable for your employees and your clients, but also for your own relationship?
0: I think a big change and something that really helped us because it was, you know, we've had, of course, really hard nights and all of that with shipping and things that happen. But when we bought the building and got it, the, the business out of, it was literally in our front yard, our barn that really helped us separate a little bit from home. You know, we have three kids home and business um, because we literally were, oh, we, we do get away from the shop when we go home. We're not, you know, we can't Ryan can't just run right outside and help something or um, it just really helped us step away. And we've slowly, I would say it's been like in the last six months really like um, would we can wait and not everything is needs to be answered right away. As far as things in the middle of the night, if a customer contacts us and wants a table, we've become, we're more confident now in our processes, in our team where we can, okay, we'll, we can respond to that in the morning. You know, we're home with our family. We've really, it's taken a long time. We used to answer everything right away, jump on every, you know, customer inquiry, no matter what time of night, I think we've just have gotten better at that and, Ryan sometimes has to tell me, nope, we're home right now. You know, we're fine. But of course, there's always things that happen that you can't let go. Like we have our own drivers delivering across the country. You know, it's midnight to us, but it's 9 p.m. in California and they're delivering a table and there's an issue. So Ryan has to call them, you know, and that's also what I think sets us apart from other companies is we are available. But it is stressful and we do have a hard time completely stepping away. On a personal level, we recently started, we just joined a gym, which is something that we never thought we would have time for. Ryan and I used to run college track. That's how we met. He was a coach. Fitness was a big part of our lives, but I would say the last 10 years, we really got away from it because, you know, we're busy. And Ryan actually made it a point for us to join a gym. And we that's one hour almost every day that we have where we are away (laughs) and no one can bother us. And it sounds really silly, just an hour a day, but that has been so great for us, um, to, to have that time. And it's really helped us like personally, um, having something else to talk about besides just the business and having that outlet because it can be, it can get really tough and you can always have things to do in the business and feel like you can't take a break. But that little bit of time has really helped us.
1: There are a lot of people who want to start their own furniture company. It's uh, It's been a dream of theirs to do it or it's a newfound passion that they're excited to do. And there's also people who have furniture companies and have been doing it for a while, but it just hasn't grown to where they want it to be you both are well-versed in owning a furniture company now. It started as a mistake, like we talked about, but it's it's quickly grown into something much bigger than I'm sure either of you could have imagined it being. So from your experiences so far, what advice could you share with people to succeed in the furniture business like you have?
2: Well, one thing I would say is don't be scared to ask for help. I'm not saying to ask for handouts, but I'm saying to ask other people what they're doing, whatever it may be, and how to build a product, how to market your product, how to treat your customers. I think the customer side is a really big aspect that we took full advantage of. And so we purposely go out of our way to make sure that customers leave reviews and they send us pictures so I can repurpose those pictures for marketing and then sell their, that same product again. And so I think a lot of people starting may not utilize that as much as they should, or maybe spend a little more time taking some pictures of that product they just built and then trying to figure out how to market it online. Um, Don't be scared to go on Etsy. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of competition now, but it could be a good, good foot in the door and, uh, and you know, you need to start somewhere. I think going all out and trying to start your own website and just, and having a website and you're going to get nervous because sales are not coming in. I mean, sales don't disappear. You, you have to create them. And so, you know, we're not huge on social media. We don't push a ton of, ton of information out on social media, whether it be like videos or we don't have YouTube or anything like that. Um, we most, we mostly took the avenue of, of advertising and marketing directly to our customers. And so that's, that's what you also got to imagine is I I feel like, especially on Instagram, the, the woodworking world, is is pushed toward each other and so if you're looking to grow a company you will need to push toward the customer and so the customer is a lot different than what we do that's not it's not the same person as someone in whatever california new york looking to buy a new piece of furniture and so you also have to figure out how you want to market your company there where are you going to get the most sales if that's what you're looking to do so you really got to figure out what you want to do and Go all in on that. I mean, there's a lot of different options, but you know, getting that help in the beginning, asking what other people are doing, making sure you're marketable, taking care of your customers from day one to day whenever they stop contacting you, and then um, making sure you're you're targeting the right audience. That's I think that'd be a good start.
0: Getting over the fear and just giving it a shot. I mean, that's how it was for me getting, like I said, I mean, woodworking, I would have never, ever, ever thought that I would do this with my life, you know? Um, and Ryan still has to, we're partners and he still has to, you know, give me that little push every once in a while. He's like, you can call the customer, you know, you know what you're doing, you know? Cause I, I always just, you know, kind of doubt myself sometimes in those aspects. And then as soon as they pick up the phone and they hear a real person, everything's fine. So I think just, just going for it, yeah. you know, just give it a shot.
2: Yeah, it's going to be scary as hell. And it's still scary for us every day. I mean, we have a lot on the line. And so, you know, that's how the fear has changed. But it's still scary every day. You know, if we don't hit our sales goal, or we have a couple of people who quit the company, and then we are scrambling to find new people. I mean, it's going to be scary just in different ways. And so you're only going to know if you try. That is so true in so many different aspects of life, but especially if you're trying to start or grow a furniture business.
1: Well, you've definitely both grown a furniture business to very impressive levels. And I, I tip my hat to you and say congratulations on all your success. And thank you for sharing your story with everybody listening. And thank you and wishing you continued success in your business.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. It's nice to get our story out a little bit and nice to have some other people who understand some of our struggles talking to us. That's always nice to hear.
0: Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Check out woodpanoralife.com for more information.